Hey, John. <laughs> MG Siegler. How you doing? Good. It's been a long time. I know. Months. I feel like I I strongly suspect, it, but I would never be as industrious as to actually check. But I, I'll bet this is the longest stretch you've been without being on, on the show. I think so. I think that's right. But you know, I live in London now, so that's part of the reason. So uh, yeah, that is. It's, it makes it a little bit harder to communicate. Yeah, it's funny because it's going back to back. It's uh, last episode was Ben Thompson, who's in Taipei, and <laughs> now it's you in London. So I feel like I've gone around the world. Yeah, you have a I very know that it, international I, uh, audience. Hopefully, yeah. I don't know that it could. <laughs> I I I honestly think it. I I'm. Maybe somebody in New Zealand or something could be further away, but that's that's it's about as far away as as people can get. Well, this is much better. You know, normally I have to talk to the West Coast, and that's eight hours, and so that keeps me up. You know, one one a.m., two a.m. for those types of calls. Yeah, I'll bet that that's actually pretty weird because I I do feel like being lifelong East Coast U.S. person, I feel like you know, like Greenwich Mean Time isn't that far away, but but. For someone from the West Coast, it it truly is. It's a it's an entire eight hours. Yeah, uh, we'll see how how I'm going to watch the Super Bowl. I think it starts at like twelve thirty or so, maybe eleven thirty p.m. And then it's going to go obviously to like two thirty a.m. Um, obviously, they have a lot of uh, different bars and stuff set up over here to to show it, but it will be weird because it's in it's in Arizona, right? So is it West yeah. Coast or is it it's either West or Mountain Time? But yeah, uh, Arizona is definitely West Coast time. Okay, I think <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely. But uh, isn't Arizona one of the no, or is it New Mexico that's like one of the uh, like a holdout on? Uh, yeah, one of savings. those does not do it, and then Vegas does it weirdly. Like they sometimes are on. One time zone, sometimes on another, something like that. Yeah. Well, they they legislate it in Vegas that there's no clocks anywhere. I mean, <laughs> right. Right. Like a lot of you have to like hide your watch when you get to the airport. They'll they'll confiscate it. <laughs> That's right. Uh so the the big news this week. I feel like we have to talk about it. I can't can't skip it. Is is uh, the quarterly results from Apple? Yes. How do you which how do you, how do you miss that? <sighs> And it's like, I know I'm not a finance blogger. I, I try not to overemphasize it, but I feel like in this case, it's so outlandishly exceptional that you can't help but talk about it and write about it and make links to it and stuff like that. Yeah, it's insane. I remember, I guess it was a couple years ago, probably when I was obviously still with... Um Maybe it was three years ago then when I was still with TechCrunch, and I was obviously doing a lot of the the coverage of the Apple earnings. And each subsequent subsequent year, they would go up and up and up. And one of the years, it was like insane. It was like they made thirteen billion dollars in profit in the holiday quarter. So it was either two or three years ago, and it seemed like a time like wow, that I mean that's amazing. It's sort of in that time when uh, you know the margins were still very very high, and then they were everyone was thinking that they were going to start coming down because of different products that were coming out in the future, iPad and whatnot. And so it seemed like the 13 billion might be a high watermark. And now, you know, that's just been totally obliterated by this quarter. The the thing that comes to mind for me, I keep thinking about it. Um, I don't know why, because it's not like it's a, a particularly even number of years, but four years ago was the debut or no i guess it was five years ago no i guess so it is kind of it's a half decade so five years ago 2010 was when the original ipad came out right and uh, 
I remember there were two things about that keynote that I that stand out to me, and it's not the iPad in particular, but it was that was when they introduced the A4 system okay. on the chip, and I remember yeah. Steve Jobs being very very proud of it. Which, and in hindsight, it wasn't that great of a chip, but I feel like the reason that he was bragging about it in hindsight was that he knew the pipeline of the A5, the A6, like what they were planning to do year after year and how they were going to take control of their own silicon in the years to come. And the other thing I remember, do you remember this? It, I think that was the event. I'm like 98% sure that it was the event where he mentioned that Apple was now a $50 billion a year company. Yeah, I think you're right. I do remember... I remember being at whatever event that was when he sort of highlighted that for the first time. I do remember that. Right. And, and, you know, he said almost the same thing that, like I said here, it's like, you know, we don't want to talk, you know, we have all sorts of products to talk about, but I just want to take a moment and, and just mark this, that we're now, Apple is now a $50 billion a year company. Uh, And, and sort of saying like, you know, that's the big boys club in Silicon Valley, right? 50 billion a year in revenue. And, they did seventy-four billion in revenue in a quarter. <laughs> it's in insane. five five years later, right? Like, and it really was worth marking. It was really was remarkable. Like five years ago, that Apple was doing fifty billion a year in revenue. Like, that's a huge number. It's a ton of money. It's way more than Apple did it. it you know, for decades or ever, really, until then, ever. And all of a sudden, that's you know, two thirds of one quarter. <laughs> I mean, what are they going to hit this year? So everyone's obviously talking about in terms of uh, earnings, in terms of profit, they're actually, you know, they set the record. They eclipsed all those oil companies, including the Russian state oil company, you know, in terms of the amount of profit they're making. But they're also very much on track, this being, you know, technically the physical quarter one, uh, they're very much on track to break the all time yearly record for that, which is also held by all the oil companies. There's a there's an outlier, uh, the Fannie Mae outlier thing, which is on the uh, the Wikipedia page, but that's that's with the government bailout and everything. It's sort of a non, uh, you know, not a fair comparison. Um, so they're probably going to set that record. And in terms of yeah, revenue, yearly revenues, what's it going to be this year? Two hundred billion, something like that. You know, obviously this is the big quarter, but then you know next quarter should be pretty big. Then it goes down a little bit, and then it will spike up again, sort of with uh, back to school sales and everything like that. I assume two hundred billion, something like that. It seems within reach definitely you know because what 40 40 40 you know gets you pretty close yeah that's so crazy um and you know uh remember uh, i guess it was a couple of years ago I, I was also covering this you know talking about apple's uh market cap which you can also make an argument you know isn't really there's there it's sort of symbolic more than it's really meaningful what what market cap actually means and you know people always argue about that it was a big deal when apple of course passed microsoft which was which was i don't even know now 4 years ago or or maybe longer than that and then apple was chasing exxon for a long time and at one point i remember they were something like 200 billion behind in market cap and it just seemed like impossible that they would ever get there and now there's something they're over 200 billion ahead of exxon now they might be 300 billion ahead uh, and obviously, Exxon's depressed because of the oil situation going on. Uh, their stock is, um, but it, it's incredible. Uh, I think someone uh, has been tweeting today and, and showcasing this uh, that I think Apple's market cap is now just about the exact same as Google and Microsoft's combined. That's insane. I, I somebody tweeted I saw yesterday. This we're recording on Friday, January thirty. So yesterday, I think at the close of market. Um, that Apple closed with 
at, when the market's closed at exactly double the market cap of Google. Yeah, so I guess that would make sense because right. Google's ahead Google, of Microsoft now, and they're so. al- they're almost neck and neck. They're like very close to one another. So yeah, that's right. I mean, it's almost uncanny how close to exactly double it was, which is yeah. I mean, again, it's it's you know, you, uh, in in years past and probably years future, you know, uh, when Apple's stock is down. You know, for reasons good or reasons nonsensical, it, it's you know, like you said, it's not proof of anything. It's not like market cap is is an infallible measure, but um, it's at least a measure of what people think of the company. Yeah, and I mean, right now, the craziest thing of all this is you could make a very good argument that Apple is undervalued uh, on the stock market. They're trading at multiples that are way below what some of their peers are trading at, and given the numbers they just released, I mean, it's not so insane anymore to think that they could be the first trillion-dollar company if they're able to sort of – I mean, we could talk about what it would take. It would take – continuing to grow iPhone and I think we all agree now you know you, you they can continue to do that they don't have a massive market share still uh, so there's there's room for growth and then China I think is the big uh, sort of factor in that and uh, if they can keep doing that and if the stock market overall keeps sort of going up and there's no you know assurances of that of course uh, it's it's possible it's crazy yeah. but it's possible um so the the I don't know if elephant in the room is the right analogy, but it's it's clearly largely almost two thirds, three quarters, three quarters driven by iPhone. Like iPhone has right. become an enormous chunk of Apple's business. The Mac is historically at an all time high, but still, that's you know that's an established market, and it's you know four million, five million units a quarter iPad is down, which is weird. It's not collapsing. It, you know, I saw somebody call it gloomy. It's not gloomy. I mean, they sold 21 million iPads last quarter. It's just weird, though, compared to iPhone because it's down 20% year over year. Um, yep. But iPhone is up enormously. It's it's almost un, unbelievable how much it's up. Because I think that it was 51 million iPhones they sold a year ago in the holiday quarter and uh, 74 million iPhones this year. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's, if I read the numbers right, someone broke it down, maybe it was Frommer. Um, I think they're at 69%. Uh, the iPhone is 69% of Apple's business now. I'm not sure if that's revenue or profit, but, you know, it's about, it's it's roughly probably both. Um, and, <laughs> I mean, it's probably higher, actually, for profit, but that's crazy. Um, but you're right. If you were just to t- if you were to take, of course, the iPhone business away from Apple, uh, they would still be near the top, if not at the top, of the biggest uh, sort of business uh, in terms of revenue. And then all of those other businesses, both the Mac, the iPad, and even in, you know increasingly iTunes and the App Store now are becoming. They, if the, you broke those out, they would each like probably be Fortune 500 companies in their own right. Uh, when you think about it, which is crazy. Right, because the store, you know, the iTunes store, whatever you want to call it, iTunes plus App Store, um, is some some number of billion a quarter now, right? Yeah, it's uh, it just keeps going up. And remember, they used to say uh, specifically about the App Store that you know it's it's basically uh, they didn't use the word sort of loss leader, but they just said they run it sort of break even, right? And then they uh, 
you know, it's it, the whole thought was that it was just out there to sell sell devices, which of course you could still make the argument that's a, that's probably the biggest part of it. But they're starting to make a lot of real meaningful money from that store. Yeah, and I think it's always been the case, and this is from years ago when it was the numbers were much smaller, where a lot of what they made was from the float, where they collect the right. money, and it doesn't, you know, they can do stuff with the money, you know, just, you know, they hold it for a little bit, and while they're holding it, they can, you know, do uh, financial guy things trickery money and, yeah <laughs> that's right and make it's... a little bit of money while you hold it like as that money passes through their fingers uh it you know it's good for them because they don't you know they don't immediately pass it on to who they're paying out right uh, they they get a little bit of what makes amazon amazon sort of that that aspect of the business right and anybody who's a developer knows you don't get paid by apple until the end of the quarter or the end of the month you know it's you know they hold the money it's not like you get paid every day as people buy your app right you wait and then you know Two weeks after the month is end is over, you get you get your check from them. In the meantime, they're holding that money and and making money on it. And now that it's at enormous sums of money, it's it's even more so. Yeah. Um, what do you think about the notion of? The, correct me if I'm wrong, but they when the Apple Watch is released, so they announced. Of course, it's going to be uh, shipping in April. When it's released, they're not breaking that out as a separate entity right that's going to be roped in under something else uh, i'm not sure what uh, other yeah. services or something but they're not going to break that out in terms of sales at least to begin with correct is that what they said that's what they've said yeah I, uh, and everybody's going to try to backwards engineer it clearly from the you know whatever wherever it is that they reported under right i think that's that's it's sort of interesting to think about it because so <laughs> i know I know you and I know I and many others have long railed against Amazon for sort of not being transparent with their numbers, whereas Apple is. We still have no idea how many Kindles have ever been sold. I think with this this most recent quarter, which Amazon had, uh, so there was some hint that you could finally back into it in a way, um, but they still have never come out and directly said you know what the number is. And uh, with they also announced that this quarter, that the coming quarter, that they will finally be breaking out AWS, um, you know, their cloud services infrastructure. They'll be breaking out that revenue uh, as a separate business, and so they'll be reporting on that. And I think that that's smart, the way that they've done it. Well, it has been, you know, annoying for anyone who's trying to get some idea of, of what Amazon is actually selling, if anything. Obviously, they're selling candles, but fire phones, you know, and those types of things. Um, but I would imagine that Apple is first putting the Apple Watch under sort of this um, same type of thing that, that Apple TV is under. Though they do announce the Apple TV numbers. They just announced, you know, whatever it was, 5 million sold uh, recently. And they've, I think it's 25 million total or something like that. Um, but I would imagine that they'll, they'll keep sort of Apple Watch under wraps until there's something more substantial to talk about, if there ever is, sort of like what Amazon has done with AWS, where they roped that into something else, and now that it's substantial, they're going to break it out and actually talk about it. Yeah, I don't know, you know, for, for the reputation that Apple has, you know, well-deserved, I guess, as being secretive and relatively, it, they don't like to explain themselves, you know, they they here's our products and that's it. And they don't like to talk about what they do. Right. They're, they're very forthcoming and have been in the whole, you know, modern era of Apple, very forthcoming in their financial reporting. Yeah. And, and, and so, you know, now that I think about it, I, I can't imagine that we're going to get a, I, an Apple watch launch without 
a weekend, end of weekend sort of report as to how many units were shipped, or sorry, were actually sold. Um, unless it's, I don't know. I, I can't imagine that they, they don't do that, right? I guess. it's it, it just seems weird. You know, I understand. It's almost not surprising because they're secretive and I feel especially the mix of, you know, for... You know, they don't, and they don't, one thing they don't reveal and have never revealed is the mix of iPhones. So That's they right. don't say how many iPhone 6s were sold, how many 6 Plus, how many 5Cs, how many 5Ss. They, they've never revealed that. Um, you can kind of get it a little bit because they do reveal their average selling price. And so right. you can kind of create a formula that estimates it based on the prices that they have. Um, but the watch, everybody expects that the watch is going to have an incredibly wide variance in price going from the sport model at 350 to however much the gold one's going to cost. But most people, including me, think it's going to cost at least a couple thousand dollars. Yeah. So you know, the mix on that is going to be way more, a way bigger divide than any other product in Apple's uh business yeah and i wonder if that sort of plays into the notion of why they wouldn't break out the apple watch too because it will be because of the uh the widespread of prices it would be sort of maybe easier maybe not but to you know to know boy they must be selling a lot of the gold version because look at these numbers or boy they must be selling no basically no gold versions because here's sort of right because the the average sell if the average selling price is you know 450 dollars or something like that that's right yeah, yeah. I don't know. I'm not quite sure. And who knows? Maybe once the business settles down, they will report it. And it's just that they don't know what to expect. I, I you know, it's like uh, you know, new territory. So I don't know. So one th- one one other notion about the the watch um, that sort of has been interesting to think about in recent weeks, sort of leading up. So, well, two things. First. Do you think are they going to do some sort of other event before April to more um, uh, s- sort of put it out there uh, in front of the world one more time uh, with a with a proper unveiling with all functionality uh, that it's going to ship with uh, you know working? My assumption all along has been yes, but now that it's like getting close and I'm starting to like you know, make plans for the next couple of months. And, you know, there's a couple of conferences that I might go to. And I'm thinking like, hey, which of these things should I maybe not do because I should keep my schedule open? Um, I'm starting to wonder. I've always thought that, yes, they are going to. Because I think that they have to show more of the functionality. I think they have to reveal more of what the watch does with the first party software. In other words, right, right out of the box, the stuff that's in there and how better to do it than at an event. Um, but I kind of also feel like they can't do it if they don't have anything else to show. I, like, I think you're right. And I think I could, so I know now that they are definitely uh, working with some other people, some third parties who you would imagine that they would be working with already to sort of get things ready to go for launch. And so that definitely points to, um, you know, a potential other events and unveiling where they have a few of the, the, the major players up on stage sort of showing off what the third party can do with this thing. Right. And I feel like there's like three levels. There's, there's a, the first party software, what, what the watch does right out of the box there's the SDK that they've already revealed, which is somewhat limited. It's the whole thing where you know you have to have an iPhone app 
And right. it's iPhone apps more or less projecting notifications to the watch. Um, and they even say, I mean, it's, and this is totally like new open Apple, you know, Tim Cook, you know, era where they even said when they revealed this initial third party SDK that a full SDK with native apps will be coming later in 2015. Right. So it's not native apps that the software doesn't run on a watch. The software with the current SDK runs on the phone and just sort of projects a UI on the watch. You can right. just send Is a it, notification. They're almost but, like widgets, I, I guess, in a way. It's like a small, it's going to be packed into the iPhone app. So Yeah, I, you know, it's, I, I feel like it's almost new territory. The closest thing, though, would be something like, you know, to, to call it something like a widget, like a yep. widget that you project. But then I feel like there's got to be a little, I, I, not got to be, but almost certainly going to be a little bit more sort of blessed partner third parties who are working with Apple and will have things that aren't in that public SDK, but are a little bit more like if you, you know, are inside, if, if you've been embraced by Apple, if, if they've asked you to send a guy or a team to spend three weeks in Cupertino, that you're going to have a little bit more tighter integration with the watch. Right. Just to demonstrate it. And I haven't looked at the SDK, nor if I did, would I really have a great understanding of it. But like something like having access to the music that you can store on the watch. Like, is that available to third parties or is it's that only not available yet. to Apple? Okay. It, right now, it's only available to Apple, the audio playback. And Marco Arment has been looking into that for the obvious reason that right. he has a podcast app that would be perfectly suited to actually storing some audio on the watch itself. So it's right. not there yet. So you could see, though, that would be an obvious one for like Apple to work with a trusted third party to sort of get, you know, give them access to it. Maybe it's Spotify or, or well, Spotify is sort of a weird one. I don't know how that would work. Um, but something like that, you know, a running app, a fit, some sort yeah. of fitness app that can access those. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, there were like clearly before the initial um, event, they had already been talking to some people like uh, – Starwoods hotels where oh, they, had right. the, yep. they said like, Hey, you're going to be able to check into any Starwoods hotel and use your watch as your key. And then right. you get into your room just by putting your wrist up to the door, which is awesome. In my opinion, as somebody who very frequently loses his hotel keys. <laughs> yep. I always demagnetize mine. Like when I put it, I always keep them in my pocket and I have either a, like a, uh, or I give them uh, to my girlfriend and she puts it in her purse and she has an iPad in there and the iPad has the magnetic clasp and it always demagnetizes the stupid key. So, yes. And they they give me a hard time. I, I've done that too, but I've done it and I don't keep it in the same pocket as my phone. I keep it in a different pocket and it still it doesn't work. I don't know. I think the technology in those things is, is <laughs> pretty bad, but I don't know. I, and when I check into like hotels where I've, you know, been a frequent customer, they're like, how many keys do you, do you want? Three keys. Should we give you? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's right. Like, like they've got, they've got me in the file that I, I need extra <laughs> keys. So the watch, uh, you know, the idea that you'll be able to do it, but that's clearly something that if they're going to announce it at the event, they would have partners lined up in advance. And you think that also, it gives them a, a sort of a natural way to to do a little bit deeper dive into Apple Pay where it's at right now, you know, sort of um, the six month check in or something, and then also to show it on the Apple Watch actually working. Um, obviously, that that seems like it's already been a, a pretty big success for them, and and will continue to be so. And so that's a, that's another obvious thing that they would do at such an event, I would imagine. Yeah, I think, and it's Apple Pay is sort of an interesting. Um, 
thing for Apple and to me and in terms of how much emphasis they're putting on it. And it's sort of like, to me, it's sort of like what we were talking about just a couple minutes ago with the, uh, the app store and iTunes store where they're not making a ton of money on it. They're only making, you know, fraction of very fraction of a 1% on each transaction. It's, it's small amount per transaction, right? but it's just about getting entrenched and having, you know, if once you get used to it, you don't want to not have an iPhone anymore because you know, then you don't have Apple pay. And it just, it, it just is another way to sort of sink their teeth into people's daily lives. Yeah. And, it's, you know, the money isn't anything to sneeze at, you know, it's not bad. No, um, it's a great moat is what it, you know, what it starts out as. And then over time, much like you said, like with the app store, if they can get to a interesting sort of transaction volume, which they're already well on their way to doing, they're going to be making a lot of money off of that, and they can also, of course, renegotiate uh, the fees with the uh, with the banking partners to get a little bit more money off of it. I think they have a lot of uh, sort of wiggle room there to be able to to do to make that into a really really interesting business uh, if they can get it to a scale. Yeah, and I I just firsthand I've you know a month ago I uh, I got a Moto the the latest model Moto X just to sort of you know do the every year or two, you know, what's it like to live with the latest and greatest Android. Um, and one of the, to me, weirdest things is, and I, you know, I've been trying to, when I'm using it, the days I'm using it, I try, you know, leave the iPhone at home, just take the, the Moto X. Um, the single weirdest thing to me out of, well, there's two things that are really weird. One is, uh, not having iMessage is really awful because there's so many people now who I, I, cause I don't get text messages anymore. They're all iMessage. So mm-hmm. my phone is the one going off my phones and, you know, iPad are going off at home with blue messages while my Moto X, which has a different SIM card, you know, isn't getting these messages. Mm-hmm. Um, and the second one is Apple pay. Like I, every time I go to whole foods with that Moto X in my pocket, I take it out of my pocket and then realize up, oh, I actually have to go back and use my credit card. Like it's actually become a habit where I take the phone out before I even remember that. Oh, I'm walking around with the Moto X. I can't use it. So that's that's interesting for me to hear because uh, being over here right now, where I am in in London, it's not actually live yet. I think it might be testing in a few places, but I don't. I haven't gone around and I haven't used it here. I haven't seen it really anywhere. It might be it might be starting to roll out at a few drugstores, or they may have that sort of hack thing, you know, where it will work with another NFC reader, um, but it's not officially supported uh, yet. Um, and so the only times that I've gotten to use it have been when I'm back in San Francisco uh, for work, and so I've only gotten to use it probably three times or something and it's definitely you know it's it's uh, all it was cracked up to be uh, in my mind it's you know just sort of a magical experience uh, which it almost seems like uh, it's a little bit crazy when you use it for the first time because it's like did i you know do i need are you sure i don't need to do anything else and sort of the cashier still asks you like yeah i think th- i think you're good it's still that that, that uh, early stage period of the of the thing, but uh, so you use it regularly, and that's yeah. good to hear that it's uh, it's sort of already in your daily flow. Where do you go besides Whole Foods that sort of uses it? There's like I know there's Walgreens and some other bigger stores, but do do any like smaller things use it that you regular? Uh, the smallest are the cabs, the taxis in Philly that oh, have that have, and and that that's a perfect example of the sort of unofficial support for right. it, where they have these. It doesn't have an Apple Pay logo. It just has a, you know, stick your phone at the terminal logo. Right, right. Um, and it 
works there. And it, that was a total surprise to me. Because I know I'd, I'd read those stories that said, you know, just about any place that says you can pay by your phone, Apple Pay will work. Um, and it's it just in particular, it's, it's so much more convenient. Because a lot of times when I'm in a cab, I've got my phone out because I'm bored while I'm riding in the cab and I'm, you know, on the phone. Mm-hmm. And digging your wallet out while you're in the backseat of a cab is such a pain. You know, it's like you're sitting there like a contortionist trying to get your stuff out and you don't <laughs> want any in the fall. If you can just stick your phone at the thing, it's super great. And then it, it just gives you like a thing, like what percent tip do you want to give? Do you want to give 18%? Yes. Boom. Yeah. Done. And then you're out of the cab. Well, and maybe it gives cabs a, uh, you know, a fighting chance against things like Uber and Lyft and whatnot. Because I have the problem where I have multiple times, sadly enough, I take Uber so much that I will get out of a cab without realizing I have to pay. Uh, and, <laughs> and it's very awkward and it seems like I'm uh, I'm sort of crazy or uh, I don't know what, but yeah. Trying to scam them. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's, you know what, that's the same sort of convenience though, like Uber... Uber is to taxis what Apple Pay is to credit cards. I mean, it's you get used to that increased level of convenience and you forget. You know, it's 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 hard to go back. Definitely. It's like trying to go back to uh, you know, an outhouse after you've had in, indoor plumbing. <laughs> That's a good analogy. I like that. Or so I would imagine. Right. Right. Back in the 1800s when we remember. Right. Let me take a break and thank uh, our first sponsor. Our first sponsor is, uh, once again, our good friends at Fracture. Their website is FractureMe.com. Um, you guys know Fracture. I've talked about them before. These are the guys who you send them your photos, and they print them directly on glass. I don't know how they do it. They've got like some kind of proprietary technology. They don't print them on paper and then put them in a frame underneath glass. They print them directly on the glass. And then they mail them back to you in these really clever little cardboard kits that are self-contained things that you can either use as a prop stand, like if you want to put the photos on your desk, or if you want to hang them on a wall, they've got a thing on the back where you can put the hook. Um, But it's all self-contained. So when they send them back to you, you don't have to go and buy a frame and put the fracture prints in a frame, go to Ikea and get frames and stuff like that. You don't have to do any of that. What they send you is ready to hang on your wall, ready to put on your desk. And they look awesome. Uh, I say this all the time that it's, it's to me, it's like when they, with the iPhone four, when they first started laminating the LCD screen, the led screen to the touchscreen and it looked like the pixels were right on the glass instead of under the glass. That's exactly what prints from Fracture look like, except that it's completely analog. It's not, uh, you know, a gadget. But that's the equivalent for printed pictures. Um, really, really good. They're a great gift idea. They're a great way to do things like uh, Marco Arment's idea where he prints, he makes Fracture prints square ones of all of his apps. If you have apps, if you make apps, Make some fracture prints of your apps, and you can use those as uh, tchotchkes that you give out, promotional giveaways or whatever. Um, just an amazing, amazing stuff. If you're going to get your pictures printed, I can't imagine why you'd do it any other way than actually just sending them to fracture and uh, doing it that way. Um, I have them all over my house. I can't even count how many fractures we've got in the house now. 
it's pretty much all the pictures from the last few years that we have hanging up are fractured prints. Really, really good. Um, you can save five bucks off your first order if you use this code, Daring Fireball. All one word, Daring Fireball. Use that code and you will save five bucks. And the prices are already really, really good. So go to FractureMe.com, get some prints, and use this code, Daring Fireball, when you check out and you'll save five bucks. So my thanks to Fracture. What I like about their site is um, that they compare, they show you the, the sizes and the comparison is always a Campbell's soup container. <laughs> it's like <laughs> it a, is good. It's sort of a random but but interesting way to uh, to compare. Yeah, and because it's like a universal, everybody knows how big a can of soup is. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, if you use a hand, I mean, some people's hands are way bigger than others. Yeah, it's true. Um, so Apple's financial results. Um, two of the two of the points that really stick out to me. One is China, and it's clearly a huge source of growth. And one of the things that I've been thinking about with that, and eight years in to the iPhone era, um, it, it in the early years it stuck, it stood out a lot more. But it still is an issue: is the carriers, the carrier support, and the growth of the iPhone in the early years. I think was clearly largely constrained by the number of carriers, you know, and and especially around the the, the world. I yep. mean, it wasn't until. Was it 2010 or 2011 when Verizon first got the iPhone? I think 2011, but yeah. But it was, you know, it was a couple of years, even in the U.S. But at the very least, if you wanted an iPhone in the U.S., it wasn't hard. You could switch. You'd make, you know, if you were on Verizon or on Sprint or, or T-Mobile or something, you'd have to switch to AT&T. But, uh, you know, say what you want about AT&T. At least they are a nationwide carrier. So everybody could get an iPhone if you wanted an iPhone. Um but around the world, it was a huge issue. Like uh, growth in Japan was clearly constrained because they were on only on like the the third biggest carrier in Japan for a long time. Right. Um, and China was a similar issue where they weren't on the biggest national carrier in China until fairly recently. Yeah, I think uh, it's it's almost been just about a year, right? I think it's almost it's coming up on a year that China Mobile has been right. uh, with them. Yeah, and. As much as everybody, you know, and I, I, you know, I think the bigger screen sizes, especially in Asia, I mean, Tim Cook even called it out that it definitely varies by geography how much, you know, the mix between six and six plus, it, it varies around the, the globe. I don't think it's any secret that in Asia and China and, and Korea and, you know, that in those countries that the six plus is more popular than it is in other countries. Mm -hmm. Um so the big screen size is definitely part of it. But I think just the fact that it's available is almost uh, overlooked. Yeah. What's it, what I find fascinating about that like that the at the highest level is Apple, you know, there was there was definitely some questions when they were moving into the Chinese market would they be able to compete? Would they be able to succeed? It's a high-end product, you know, um uh, the difference in, in sort of buying power versus the United States uh, and all that kind of stuff uh, and, you know, subsidies and all that. Um, but now that it's clear that Apple's business is doing very well in China and growing very quickly, uh, all of, you know, the, the sort of other tech companies that they're, that they're stacked up against in the United States, um, you know, that they're compared to, of course, uh, 
Google and Facebook and you know even Twitter and, and some of these other things that are just uh, hot properties right now, <laughs> most of them have no business in China, right? And Apple has a giant, massive business that a lot of their competition or what is viewed or off, often you know mentioned in the same uh, breath as them as their competition just doesn't really have that opportunity at all. Yeah, I completely agree. And this is another case where, to me, Apple has been, if you're paying attention, very forthcoming about it for years now. I, I would say at least during the entire Tim Cook era, like since Steve Jobs uh, stepped down as CEO and Tim Cook took the reins, I, I feel like quarter after quarter after quarter, Tim Cook has always made mention of China. Even before China became, it was almost like we're, you know, his he kept and continues to keep mentioning their growth in China, yep. and it's you know again it goes against the idea that Apple is super secretive. They've they've been very forthcoming about it, and now it's I feel like they're at the point where it's everybody's talking about it because it's gotten to be an enormous part of their business. Yeah, and I wonder if part of that is just honestly because you know when he was in, still in charge of operations, he would go over there. I mean, that's where that's where all the operations were. You know, the majority of the operations were were happening. And you know, while China uh, was always interesting to people because, of course, there's a billion and a half people there. It's the most populous country, and and everyone knew that it was sort of coming online and becoming more prosperous and sort of becoming more affluent. Um, you know, maybe his time on the ground there, he just knew like th no matter what, we have to figure this out, and we need to do what it what it takes to sort of uh, crack this market because eventually we will saturate the United States market and the European market. Uh, you know, not as big already, uh, and so where are we going to find that growth? And they are positioned better than anyone right now to be able to exploit that yeah the um it, this is right from apple's press release on their their results international sales accounted for 65 percent of the quarter's revenue so exact almost exactly two-thirds of their revenue is outside the u.s now and that's is, again, and that's that, up big time right it used to be under it used to be under 50 percent and then it was hovering around 50 percent and now it's two-thirds or, or whatnot correct yeah definitely is way up and a big change um years ago many years it, let's say back before especially before the iphone existed like in the first half of the last decade um the mobile market around the world was very unevenly distributed where blackberry had a huge share of the u.s and was almost non-existent elsewhere. And eventually, before BlackBerry sort of imploded, they did get popular around the world. But I'm saying, you know, 10 years ago, BlackBerry was almost like a, a US-centric phenomenon. Right. Um, and like Symbian was a European and Asian phenomenon and had no almost no footprint in the US. It was huge in Europe and in Asia and almost non-existent in the US. There weren't any major carriers that had Symbian phones and none of the US, you know, the companies that sold phones in the US carriers made Symbian phones, you know, it was weird. Right. Um, and I always thought that Apple was a little, not quite as, as, as totally US centric as BlackBerry was then, but it was similar though, where you, you know, the US was much, much stronger for Apple selling computers. Um, yeah. Well, than it's the rest of the world. It's sort of, it's, uh, it's not direct 
directly comparable, I guess, because obviously BlackBerry was big with business users, big in Washington, big on Wall Street. Um, but it's the market was still the at more affluent market, right? And um, so they both sort of tracked to that market for a long time. Yeah. Um, and I wonder, too, as time goes on, I mean, you know, Apple is always going to be a U.S. company. I mean, it's, it, you know, I would say in the grand scheme of things, famously, that they're they're rather, you know, in terms of like, where, you know, they have some remote employees. But in general, if you work for Apple, you're working in Cupertino. If you're working on product development, you know, hardware or software, they right. don't really have, you know, yes, they have. They've just started a Seattle office. Um, they've had like, a, I think the iWorks team has been in Pittsburgh for a long time. So there's some people who, and there's individuals who can get an exception and work remotely. But for the most part, right. people work there. It's it's always going to be a U.S. company. The culture is very California centric. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think that stamping, you know, designed by Apple in California on all their devices is actually very honest. It, it's that's who the company is. But I do wonder as time goes on, um, how much and, and you know we're spoiled well you're in london now so i don't know but i mean i've always felt like i'm spoiled because everything comes out in the u.s on day one and i think it always <laughs> yeah. will but i wonder how much you know at what point will like china be on like the day one list for iphone because right. you know it's clearly close enough that it made a big difference in the quarter you know and- yep I agree. I mean, yeah, they and they. I think they talked about that even in the in the release or something because it was it was two weeks later or something like that that it that the iPhone came out in China. So it wasn't day one, but it was sort of the second wave, I think. Um, and I actually think about that a lot when when I was moving over here. I'm like, oh god, I'm gonna have to wait like a long time to uh, to you know get get sort of the new products when they come out. But London's now you know sort of day one. They had the yeah. the new iPads came out the same thing. You know what this reminds me of though? I think this this tracks uh, with uh, sort of the what Hollywood's going through as well, right? So for a long time, movies were released uh, first in the U.S. and then then they would go abroad like over a long period of time, sometimes months. Um, now, increasingly, they're tracking much closer to the U.S. release date. In some cases, they get released abroad before they get released in the U.S. And sort of to the to the point, I think you're getting at, which is uh, in Hollywood, increasingly uh, in, of importance is the Asian markets um, for making the the actual money. Like you know, the box office in the U.S. is now uh, often a minority uh, piece of the pie compared to what they make overseas, and so. You're starting to see movies like Transformers and things that are more catering towards Asian audiences, uh, and I do wonder, like, you know, when when that happens with Apple, when the tip happens fully, that sort of the either the Asian markets or a combination of of Asia and some other uh, you know areas around there uh, end up being bigger than the U.S. Like, do they change the the company in any way to make it more focused on that region? Do they do sort of specific devices? And I think we talked about this way back when that like, uh, you know, in order to sell an iPhone in China, they would have to do like a special version of it or whatnot. Um, and then it, 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 the notion was always that they would never do that. They would always just have sort of, while they could, while they change up the technology inside for the different carriers or whatever, they would always, they would never stray from having sort of a streamlined product line that's offered around the world. But does that change at all if China becomes like 75% of the business, like in the future, say? I I don't know. I don't know either, but it's, you know, the fact that it's within two weeks is remarkable. And, you know, again, I think it's a combination of, 
of multiple factors. I think it's the fact that they're now on the, you know, the major carrier in China, um, which makes a huge difference in terms of how many people can get it. I think the fact that China's economy is, is growing and that there's an ever increasing number of Chinese citizens who have the kind of income that they could buy an iPhone. I mean, and clearly yep. a majority of people in China can't right. No, no argument there. Um, but there's a, you know, you know, take any percentage of how many billion people there are in China. And if, you know, 10% or something like that is a huge number of people. Yeah. It's um, half the U S already. That's right. Great. It's, yeah. it's just enormous. I think that um, they, they, they reported that they've did, I, you know, they call it the brick countries, Brazil, Russia, India, China, hmm. which is weird because they're very, they're all very different, but it's more or less four countries with a ton of people and, you know, wide income disparity, I guess. Yeah. But that they're doing well in all four of those countries. Yeah, I would I, I haven't looked into it, but I would imagine that so India is probably the farthest behind. That seems to be the case with, you know, basically everything because they're while well, they also have a billion people there and I think they they would I think they're on pace to eventually eclipse China in terms of uh population, but um uh, while they so they do have a billion people right now, well over a billion people right now, uh, uh, the society is quite different there, and uh, you know it's still the iPhone is still viewed as a as way out of reach for most people. Whereas in China, um, you know there's a there's as you mentioned there's a growing segment of the population that can and is buying the iPhone right now. Yeah, and I think I think in broad strokes that's exactly right. That India it might be growing faster population wise, but that the the Economy is nowhere near as strong as China's in terms of a growing, you know, Western right. style middle class, and that's um, what uh, Xiaomi, right, is going after. Now right. India is like their big focus because they know that they have an opening there that Apple probably can't go after at least any time in the for, in the you know next couple of years or something. Right, I totally agree, and I think that they have a great opportunity, but I feel like all of the and you still see it, you still see it where it's you know when Xiaomi comes out with something and it's, what does it mean for Apple? How can Apple compete? It's to me, they're a huge problem for Samsung and for all the other hand Android handset makers. And not that they're irrelevant to Apple, but it's, it's all in that segment underneath what Apple is targeting. That's right. I mean, just look at what, what has happened to Samsung. They've been, well, they're, you know, they're still making a lot of money. Their growth has been just, just totally eaten into and likely by Xiaomi and Apple, of course, uh, at the, at the top end, but, um, they're being squeezed, you know, not unlike Microsoft is squeezed in the U S from sort of, uh, you know, Chrome OS on the low end and, and, you know, MacBook still sales rising. It's, uh, the same thing just happened just in a very condensed time to Samsung. It's, it's sort of incredible how fast it happened to Samsung, but, uh, you know, they're in, they're in this like precarious situation right now because of that. Yeah, I actually I think Samsung revenue and profits are actually down, not just stagnant. Okay. Yeah. Um, um they just reported their results. Hold on, let me Google it. Sure. Um one other thing about China is I wonder so another thing about the Chinese market that that you hear come up time and time again is actually that that the watch industry is pretty massive there as as the the population grows in affluence they're sort of looking to these different um, traditional areas of affluence like wine and um, and watches of course is one and so what does that mean for Apple watch there and I don't know um, but 
it could mean major things uh, if if the product is successful. That um, you know, it becomes if maybe from day one, it's a bigger seller in China than it is in the U.S. Uh, yeah, I think so. I don't know if I've mentioned this on the show before. I saw a documentary a couple months ago. It was great. It's uh, it's on iTunes called Red Obsession. Have you seen this? No. It's it's about the wine industry. Mm-hmm. Um, a great documentary. Just note the name Red Obsession. But the gist of it is about how the Asian market has completely disrupted the sale and, and uh, price of wine. Like... Mm-hmm that they, they'll go in there's chinese buyers of wholesale wine who will go into like you know high-end french um uh what do you call a winemaker uh not a distillery uh what's the word uh, winery yeah winery. Uh, yeah. uh and just buy they'll they'll they would just come in and just say like we'll buy all of it we'll just take it all Yep. And they're like what? And they're like, we'll just take all of all. This is great. Your your wine this year is this this, you know, this Bordeaux is fantastic. Uh, just give it, you know, <laughs> just send all of it to China. That's it, all of it. And then you know, like, there's people who are used to buying the wine from this place in America and you know elsewhere in Europe, and they're like, uh, what do you mean you don't have any? And they're like, we sold it all to China. That's it. I it's have. Gone. I have a very. I have a firsthand account of that. I was, uh, you know, being being situated in Europe now it's pretty easy to obviously get around and go places like Paris and I think we were in Switzerland over the summer and uh, we're in a small little vineyard uh, place in the middle of nowhere and we are there with uh, the only other people in the room is a is a Chinese family sort of tasting the wine and you look around um, and we were you know thinking about buying a bottle or whatever uh, they had so few bottles that were actually um, uh, you know, earmarked that could uh, be sold to sort of people who walk in. Uh, so much was earmarked to go to China, and they even print Chinese labels. And this is, you know, in the middle of of Switzerland, and it's like there, this little this little winery we were in. They are experiencing, you know, just what you're talking about, where they just know that their market now is basically China is a huge part of it. I don't know what the percentage was, but say it's 75%, and then the rest of the world is like 25%. So they they store some for you know for the rest of the world, but then the most of it is just is just going to be sent to China, right? And you know, extrapolate from that what happens if China if their economy keeps growing and a bigger and bigger percentage of their citizens grow into what we would consider like middle or upper class, you know, incomes. And, you know, the potential for growth there is just phenomenal. And so what does, so do you, I mean, like the Apple watch really could be a, the first product that's, that's a massive hit in China bigger than it is in the U S and like, that's inter- That's weird to think about, right? That there would yeah. be, it's always been that the U S has sort of been the, the, the leader uh, ahead of ahead of the game, I guess, in terms of Apple and technology, and then the rest of the world sort of catches on uh, by stages. And that doesn't also just mean in terms of the U.S. being more affluent and having, uh, you know, more buying power or whatever. Sometimes it's just, uh, you know, they re- it's everything from the re- Apple releases the products here first, uh, that traditionally they have, um, to, you know, every uh, being sort of the... Uh, the benefits of scale and so everyone you know has an iphone and so you can use things like um uh like airdrop and things like that um and so it becomes and and iMessage and so it becomes a more compelling option but uh it hasn't been that another country has really taken off first and i don't think that it's a crazy uh notion that apple watch could be one of those things yeah i don't think so either and i think 
that the uh, the gold models, the addition level, um, plays right into that. And that's right. You know, it, it it it's totally like a feel thing, not a think thing. It doesn't make logical sense, right? It, it logically it makes no sense for anybody to buy the gold version of the watch <laughs> if the aluminum one does the exact same function at three hundred and fifty dollars. But that's jewelry. Jewelry is entirely a you know how it makes you feel type thing not like a logical thing nobody needs any kind of jewelry that's right and you know it's a long you know it's a long standing you know it's you know goes back to the beginnings of human civilization it's you know there's no you can't argue with it but i feel like in america it's uh you know let's just say when they when they do come out with the watch and they announce the final pricing and let's say that the edition ones are four thousand dollars there's, I'm telling you, I still think, even after all these months of people saying, hey, I think these gold ones might cost thousands of dollars. I think these gold ones might cost thousands of dollars. When they announce it, I'm telling you, in America, people are going to shit their pants. Oh, yeah. They're going to be like, I cannot, I cannot friggin' believe this. That, you know, they're out of, they've, Johnny Ive has lost his friggin' mind. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that, why in the right. world is anybody going to, and in the meantime, people in China and, and Asia, uh, you know, other places in Asia are going to start lining up to buy them. Oh yeah, I totally agree with you. I mean, um, it, it could be. It's because it's just it, there needs to be a mindset change, which only can happen sort of over time. I think we, everyone, including me, even when I think about it, I'm viewing this as a technology product. What technology product will I would I buy these days that costs say five, four, four or five thousand dollars? I mean, it used to be televisions cost that much. Now they don't anymore. They've come down in price a lot. It used to be computers cost that much. Now they don't anymore. They're about half that price for a high end one. Um, and so, what else is there out there in the technology world that would cost that amount of money? I mean. Um, trying to think of something now and I can't really come up with anything right and so th this all of a sudden this small little gadget becomes the most expensive piece of technology that you can buy on the market and why on earth would anyone do that when you can also get basically the same thing you know for $350 for the sport edition or whatnot right. um and yeah, it's exactly what you said. You have to, the mentality has to shift around it that this is actually jewelry. And that's, um, I mean, you know, that's why Apple's doing what they're doing. Um, and that's why they're hiring the people that they're hiring, obviously. And there's, uh, there's and I, some serious cultural differences too, where, and I'm not an expert on it. I mean, Ben, Ben Thompson is, he lives over there. But I mean, I know enough about Asia though to know that they're, they're culturally, their view of money is very different than us in the West. In the West, not that we're ashamed of it, but it's money is considered like a private matter. Yep. You don't flaunt mm -hmm. if you're wealthy. You're, it's considered uncouth to flaunt it. Right. And in Asia, that's not the case at all. So, like, I remember specifically, like, when the watch was first announced, I was listening to uh, Accidental Tech podcast, and Marco Arment had just said something. Something I think in reference to the gold one that, like, if he was at WWDC next year after the watch was out, he would be embarrassed to be out like you know, having cocktails at five or six in the afternoon after WWDC and have a gold watch if everybody <laughs> could know it was $4,000. Right. And yep. I know exactly what he's talking about. I know, you know, I sort of feel the same way. Whereas in Asia, that wouldn't, nobody would ever, that nobody would ever say that. Nobody would ever say I'm embarrassed to have what everybody knows is a $4,000 watch on my wrist. Right. Yeah, no, that's a that's a great point. I mean, uh, and I think that's true. You see that even before the watch, like when, you know, when you buy... Um, when you buy one of the new iPhones for the first time, you know, day one, you get it. And uh, you know that, like, plenty of people 
uh, all know that this is especially say with the six plus because it's such a different size, and so everyone's like looking at that like, wow, that guy just dropped you know uh, whatever seven hundred dollars uh, to get that that phone, and I'm still stuck here with the uh, with the three GS model, and you know one day you know I hope to get that, but there's there's already that sort of uh, that sort of thing where you're you're looking at this. It's like yeah, everyone's going to know that I just spent seven hundred dollars, and it's uh, even though it's an awesome device and and I want to use it out there. It's like should I really take this out of my pocket here and you know sort of flaunt it in front of everyone? Yeah. Um, let's take a break. I'm going to thank our second sponsor. It's our good friends at Backblaze. You guys know Backblaze. I've been talking about them for months. I can't believe everybody who listens to this show hasn't signed up for it yet. It's on online cloud based unlimited backup for your Mac. You sign up for Backblaze. You get a month free. Just sign up, no credit card. You install their app, simple little Mac app, written by former Apple engineers, runs perfectly quietly, doesn't doesn't interfere with anything. You install it, forget about it. It backs up everything on your Mac to your Backblaze account in the cloud. Everything, your entire startup drive. Do you have an external hard drive? It'll back that up too, everything. Doesn't matter how much you have. Unlimited. There's no size limit. There is no catch. There's no pricing tier for more storage. However much you have to back up, you just back it up. You just install Backblaze, and as soon as it uploads, it's all there. Everything. Then, once it's all backed up, uh, if disaster strikes, if your hard drive fails, if your MacBook gets stolen, uh, if you spill water on your MacBook, you can get a complete restore of your system. Uh, you don't have to download it even either. You can just log in and have them put it on a USB hard drive and mail it to you. They'll FedEx, FedEx it to you one day later. You've got your whole thing on a USB drive right there in your hands. Or it's not just for disaster. You Maybe you just need one file, but your computer's at home and you've got your phone. Well, they've got an app. You fire up the app on your iPhone and you can access every file on your system right there from the iPhone and mail it or text it or share it however you want right there from your phone. Uh, A huge majority of the use of Backblaze is, you know, one file at a time. Uh, They've got years of experience. I don't even know. I don't even know the word for how much they have backed up terabytes. It's it's whatever's bigger than terabytes, petabytes. I think Uh, I, I, it's, such a great thing. I've got it. I've been using it forever. I whole, I would wholeheartedly recommend it even if they weren't a sponsor of the show. Just install it. Uh, put it on your parents' machine. That way their whole system is backed up offline outside the house. Um, it's just a remarkable peace of mind when you know that everything on your system is backed up. And it's just five bucks a month per Mac. Five bucks a month and you have everything backed up safe and sound outside your house in the cloud. Uh, where do you go? Go to backblaze.com slash daring fireball slash daring fireball. And that way they'll know you came from the show. Uh, so backblaze, go sign up for them. Uh, here's another thing about the, uh, the iPhone. I, I want to talk to you about this. Cause I know you've written about it. Uh, the iPhone 5C, I think, is the most misunderstood iPhone that Apple's ever made. Mm-hmm. Do you th- what do you do? You think the iPhone 5C 
What what do you think the point of the iPhone 5C? So I, I've th- my my thoughts have changed. I don't know, obviously. I mean, I've I haven't talked to anyone uh, sort of with tech first secondhand knowledge of this of like what the point was um and i don't know i don't have a good enough sense of that to know for sure but my thought process has changed over time um you know at first uh you know everyone was talking about it of course is the is the quote-unquote cheap iphone which ended up being incorrect um and then it became sort of the first product that was launched under the unified Johnny Ive, uh, you know, sort of design and uh, software and hardware design at Apple, right? So it was iOS 7, and, you know, we got the new flat design, the colorful sort of fluorescent look, and those those phones seem to go nicely with that, right? I still think even – I still have, uh, you know, a blue model um, of, the iPhone, of the iPhone 5C um, that I still think is – I know I'm sort of in the minority here, but I thought it was a beautiful device when paired with iOS 7 at the time. I don't even know if I've upgraded it to iOS 8. It's sitting in a in a drawer somewhere, obviously, with, with iPhone 6 out now. But um, I thought it was a beautiful device and sort of, uh, you know, the way it played with sort of the wallpapers that they had for, for iOS 7. And it just seemed like it was it was a device that Johnny Ive wanted to create to showcase the new software that he was creating for the first time. Um, whereas the iPhone... Uh, 5s was you know also uh, you know a great design great industrial design uh, but different it, it was sort of the extension of what they had already done uh, before doing this new software and so that was my thought process for a while um then you know apple just didn't sort of continue the line right and so now we have the six and the six plus and we have no we have three colors three sort of t- tints each of those but no no more colorful range anymore. And um, now we're sort of going towards, as we head towards Apple Watch, where that's obviously going to be the most customizable Apple device that Apple's ever done. Um, You know, maybe that's enough to sort of placate the people who want uh, uh, a different type of design. And, and I don't know, what are your, what are your thoughts on it? I, I feel like, I feel like I gave myself credit for not really buying into the whole, like, I, it leaked months in advance that they were doing a plastic phone. Mm-hmm. And that's just inevitable when you're making things in this quantity that it, the news leaks from the Asian supply chain. And every, you know, not everybody, but the, the conventional wisdom was, oh, Apple's going after cheap, the cheap market. They're going to sell this thing cheap, cheap, right. cheap, cheap. And then it wasn't cheap. It was like, you know, unlocked. It was started at like 550 bucks, which is not by anybody's you know it's certainly cheaper than the 5s was but it wasn't cheap and i never bought into that it never made sense to me that apple would suddenly lurch after the low end of the market and just go for market share so i gave my you know patted myself on the back for getting the 5c just because i didn't never bought into it being cheap but i think i missed the boat though i think just by just by thinking well it's not going to be cheap isn't enough. And I almost feel like in hindsight, when it came out, it wasn't even, not that they didn't want to sell it in the first year, um, but it almost wasn't even meant for that year. I think it was meant for the long haul and like where it is now, like at the, you know, the free with contract level of uh, iPhone, that it had, you know, the new aspect ratio for the screen it wasn't three and a half inches. It was four inches and 16 by nine. Um, and 
the you know I I do think I agree with you. I think they're proud of the industrial design of it. I think Apple really likes that look, and I think again, I think you're right. I think it's very astute that it it does seem to be much more in harmony with the aesthetics of iOS seven and eight than the aluminum uh, phones, the five S and the sixes. Um, and I know a lot of people, not tons, but I know enough, you know, who, who have the 5c because they just, they like the way it looks. And right. People, even though it was know, slower, even though it wasn't yeah. as fast. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, you know, that they're, that the iPhone has sort of gotten to the point where, you know, whatever the difference in performances doesn't matter. They're not waiting for anything anyway. It doesn't take any longer. You're mostly waiting for stuff to download, right? Instagram doesn't run slower on the 5c. It's you're just waiting for the pictures to come down the pipe. Yep. Um, yeah. They just like the way it looks. And I almost feel it was all about like establishing an aesthetic that fits at the lower end of the product lineup so that they don't have the free with contract phone being a premium. Uh, yeah. That's device. a really interesting thought. I, I totally understand what you're, what you're saying there. Um, because it, it, it's weird when you buy something brand new, like say the the six now, and then you know in two years this is going to be viewed as sort of the the quote unquote whether it's fair or not the cheap version, right? It's going to uh, not only will it we all know things degrade in value over time as they're sort of used and everything, um, but it's weird the the notion that the as soon as you buy it, you know that in two years this will be on you know sort of Verizon ad spreads saying like free and this is uh, this is the cheap version uh, now and so if Apple can get around that by creating a product that's sort of separate from the high end uh, to begin with from the high end meeting their actual most expensive things, even though as we just talked about, it's not that much cheaper um, that creates a different sort of psychological dynamic to it. I also think, and I, so I had written a post a, a long time ago, maybe a year ago, I guess um, talking about like how odd it is that every advert advertisement I see around, I think it was around still San Francisco and sort of, I think it was in Seattle actually when I saw one that sort of made me think about this, um, that every ad I was seeing was for the iPhone 5C and not the 5S. There were a few ads for the 5S, but almost all of them, or certainly around the Bay Area, were for the 5C. And I, at first I interpreted that as it must not be selling well and Apple feels like they need to pump up the advertising to sort of boost it up. And that may have been the case, I don't really know, but I did get a lot of pushback for it and I think some of it was astute push back uh, thinking like actually this is sort of the perfect device along the lines of what we were just talking about this is sort of the perfect device for Apple to showcase in their advertisements because it's colorful it sort of goes perfectly with iOS 7 it's it's sort of part of this um, the playful ads that Apple likes to do and so it ended up being in a way like the the poster child for a long time for uh, for all those ads around different cities in the U certainly in the US I don't know about the rest of the world and uh, what if it was like, you know, just sort of a product that they thought was really beautiful and they knew that it could sort of get people in the stores by having these colorful ads and then, you know, then either they buy this device and that's great for them or they, you know, they decide to, to buy the more expensive device. Yeah, I remember that post and it's actually why I brought it up with you. I, I don't know how. I'll look it up and I'll put it in the show notes. But I do remember that post and I remember disagreeing with it because it was right around the time when it first started dawning on me that I had I, – I had underestimated the 5c and like i said i think that this year is the year where the 5c is exactly where apple wants it to be i feel like it's 
I feel like the hardest part of Apple's business is now that they're they've hit these insane quantities for iPhones. It's really really hard, and their their pipeline is so long. Like, how do you how do you ship seventy four million new iPhones? And who knows what percentage of them were the iPhone six? But it's a I think it's a majority of them last quarter. How do you make that many in the first quarter that it's available? Well. Part of the how they do it is that it's planned out years in advance. I mean, like I think it's about a two-year pipeline for their iPhones. You know, like more or less that the yeah. iPhone six and six plus were a you know about two years into making, and it's dangerous for them. And I feel like that's partly why they're. I think in hindsight they were probably a year late to the big phone market. I think right. that if they could if they could go back and do everything over again, I think that they would probably put the iPhone 6 and 6 Plus one year ahead on the schedule because it was but it it takes too long for them to get everything set up so they can make these quantities. They can't act fast and just say, "Okay, we'll make a, you know, a 5 and a half inch phone, but we're only going to be able to make a million of them because it's new and we're not ready for it." Well, they can't do that. They can't have a phone that they can only make a million of in the first quarter. Yep. Um, I agree. But I feel like the 5C was something where they were thinking ahead over a year and they wanted to have a phone that sat at this sort of, you know, at, and well, in fact, they've gone to four levels, right? They've got the 6 Plus, which is $100 more for the same specs compared mm-hmm. to the 6. So they've got the 6 Plus where you pay $100 premium for the bigger screen with the extra pixels. Um then there's the six, which sits where it, the iPhone always had. The new iPhones always have same price levels. Uh, then one cut down, hundred dollars down is the five S, um, which is still a premium device, right? The five S is, and and you know we we could do a whole show about it, but in my opinion, it's still my favorite iPhone that they've ever made. Um, and now the five C at that free with contract level is so much more natural than if they were selling, if they had stuck to the the original plan and hadn't made this one device that is so unusual um, with, you know, the plastic body and it never was at the high end, you know, effectively though, the 5C is where if they had stuck to the plan and done the same thing they've done every other year, that would still be the, the original iPhone five without the S. Right. And instead, which is like visually indistinguishable from the five S except it, you know, it doesn't have touch ID. Um, but at a glance, it looks the same. Whereas now it, at a glance, it's instantly recognizable as. Yes. As a that's different a, that's phone. a good point. I've definitely, yeah, I've thought I've brought, I think I've written about that as with that sort of notion as well, that um, there was the problem with the S lines where they look the same. And so it's not, it's like, well, yes, they're faster inside. Like, what is what is it that's sort of differentiating on the outside? There was nothing for a while, and now the five C gives you a very differentiated factor. But what do you think then? You know, sort of the the obvious uh, lead into that is what do you think they end up doing the next iteration? So we're coming up on uh, you know the fall of 2015. Uh, the assumption I would assume is that they do an iPhone six uh, S, and then do they have an iPhone six C? And what do they do with them? Do they have a plus S? Uh, and how do they keep yeah, the and line going? How big going? would it be? Right? How big would yeah. it be? Would it, would it be four point seven inches, or would it right. be five point five? Would it be both? I don't think it would be both. I think that they, 
I, I, it's an excellent question. I, I'm really kind of at a loss to guess what they're going to do this year. Like I kind of guess they're going to do at the high end success and a success plus, which would be this look a lot like the, you know, just the typical S, you know, TikTok revisions. Right. But then what do they do at that pricing level below where the five S is now? And right. I really wonder. Do they like, keep the six and six plus? And you know, I don't getting, think so. We're getting pretty convoluted then at that point yeah. as to what the what the offerings are. Yeah, I don't think so. I kind of feel, and I kind of feel like the way that they're, and it, it it's somewhat arbitrary because I don't think that the actual cost is that much different for the different sizes. But I kind of feel like they'll. If I had to guess, maybe like they'll call it a 6C and it would be a four inch screen, but with the specs of the iPhone 6. So that's interesting because one thing that has always been humorous to me for the past couple of years now, remember when the iPhone first came out and everyone was clamoring like we need an iPhone Nano. Uh, and you know, and this is when the iPhone was a 3.5 inch screen, the original right. iPhone. And people were saying it's too big. Like we, you know, we're we're coming from a world of flip phones, like the and the razor and things, the Motorola razor. Uh, we need a smaller device. Like I don't want anything bigger. And now it's like no one talks about that anymore. And when you do hold even a even a five and five S, you know, next to the six plus, it's sort of comical how small it seems. Um, and I don't even know when the last time I held a four was, let alone uh, you know some of the even the older ones. Um, but do you think that they go to a world where we have now the six inch screen, uh, the, f- the, f- is it a five, five and a half inch screen? And then is it a four inch screen or do they do some other like variation on that? But is the three skews, it seems to me like three skews is pretty good because you you can offer different things at each for what people want. Some people want us may, might want a smaller phone. The problem of course is with developers. It's a pain in the ass to have to, you know, supports all of these different screen sizes still. And so Apple traditionally, as you know, is, has been pretty good about retiring older sort of technology and making it so that you don't have to uh, support that. Rather, you know, they, they push forward. Um, but what do you think that they would do there? I don't know. It's, it's interesting to me. I, I, whether they say 4.7, like one way they could go would be to say 4.7 is the new small iPhone size. And now the $99 mid-tier, $99 with contract mid-tier phone is also 4.7 inches. Mm-hmm. They could do that. And then that to me would be a strong signal that the four inch size, you know, I'm sure that they would still have something at the, you know, free with contract level that still has a four inch screen at the end of, you know, next year. Um, But that it's on the way out. But on the other hand, I could see them going though, where they still say you can still get a four inch phone. You know, we've got the, you know, small, medium and large screen sizes and, you know, four inch is our mid tier size mm-hmm. and it would, you know, have the same, you know, the, the a eight from the iPhone six, the camera from the iPhone six, um, but in a four inch form factor, but would that form factor be plastic like the five C or would it be metal like the five S I don't know. Yeah. And, and I guess the, um, you know, the other, the other thing to bring up is that I think now, are we at the point now where everything has the lightning connector? We are, right? Yeah, we are with the iPhones. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's, but, that's, 
we're not at the place where everything has Touch ID, and I assume that Apple wants to get there for Apple Pay um, especially, and then just overall to simplify and make it easier for developers who are trying to support Touch ID, and, and you know, there's the fallback, of course, of just using passwords, but um, I would assume that they want to get everyone on Touch ID, so even the low-end ones, do you think you agree with that? Well, I don't know, because that's the... So the weird thing, it's like I said, like I think like this year, right now, until the end of the year, the 5C is exactly what apple wanted they've got this you know a nice phone everybody likes it it's easily advertised it's colorful um but because they didn't rev it last year uh, my assumption is at the end of this year the 5c as we know it goes away that just you know falls off the bottom of the product list and it's gone and it's replaced by what if they just keep moving things down the line it would be replaced by the 5s which does have Touch ID, but doesn't do retail Apple Pay. Like it only does Apple Pay like in apps, which it doesn't seem to have taken off yet. Right. Because um, it, it doesn't, doesn't have, have NFC. NFC. Right. Right. And it also, if they do that, it goes against my thinking that they want the bottom of the line phone to not have that premium metal industrial design. Mm-hmm. Like, so I don't know. Like, do they come out with a new plastic model that debuts at that free tier? I, I, it, well, it and, seems like an awful lot of new SKUs, right? <laughs> yes, yes. Because um, I also feel like part of it, just part of the reason that they can make all these new iPhones is that they're only making one, one or two new phones a year, and the other ones are these things, you know, like the 5S that they already right. know how to make, and it just, you know, just keep making them like you did last year. Um, you know, the other thing that throws a wrench into it is what they did this year, and and this is another discussion. Um, you know, to the iPad mini where they didn't update the internals at all, but they gave it touch ID and like, why, why even bother to do that? You know, when they're, when that was the only sort of upgrade that they did. And now there's the whole debate, you know, did the, is the iPhone six plus eating into iPad mini sales specifically? And what do they do with the future of that line? Um, and is there a future of that line? Yeah, it's a good question. I, you know, so maybe, I don't know, like, could they come out with, like, the equivalent of a 5C, but just add Touch ID? Yep, potentially. That's, that, would be, that would be something that I might guess would be something that they do. Because I right. do agree that they want to keep, obviously, they want to have differentiating factors for the premium. But I do think that their strategy is, is pretty strong right now around Apple Pay. And I would imagine that they want, like we talked about earlier, they want that to be the mo- a moat, a new moat that sort of uh, creates a reason why you're in the Apple ecosystem, regardless of which device you have. And so my guess would be, yes, they have something like an iPhone 6C that has uh, Touch ID and NFC. They add both of those to it, and then yeah, but maybe so, like old and a, a you know a seriously older A series chip, like an A6 yeah, right. or something like it, that. Right, and that's how they differentiate. It's not nearly as fast as sort of the high end, and it's maybe plastic, and so plastic not as fast. The camera's not quite as nice, but it does still have uh, Apple Pay and, and Touch ID. Yeah, at the very least, I can't imagine that they'll ever, at any price point, I can't imagine that they'll ever come out with any new iPhones that don't do NFC and Apple Pay. Yeah, I agree. But it's a question, the big question is how, you know, if they keep the 5S around, though, and move it down the the product tier, right? you know, that's then, another year then, though, that they have a phone that doesn't have Apple Pay and NFC. Yep. 
and uh, yeah, I mean that's a that's a, a interesting dilemma for them to have. Um, though they've they've always dealt with that fine in the past, sort of keeping those products around longer than anyone else thinks that they should. And and obviously they they uh, they have the data to back that up that they should do that. Yeah, totally. All right, I want to tell you about a new sponsor here on the show, and that sponsor is Oscar. Oscar is a new health insurance company. Now, this is U.S.-centric, and in fact, right now, it's limited to um, New York and New Jersey. Um, But they are a new insurance company focused on consumers who are able to buy their own health insurance through the new Affordable Care Act, a.k.a. Obamacare, um, the insurance marketplaces that that are new here in the U.S., um, so in most cases, you know, existing health insurance companies are terrible, uh, and they're particularly poor for people like me, uh, who are self-employed and don't get insurance uh, through any sort of group or a job or a business or something like that. Um, buying insurance as health insurance in the U S as an individual or as a family, um, is just a, an enormous hassle and a bad deal and you get bad service. Uh, Oscar is designed to change all of that. Uh, they already did first year. Last year, they started in New York and had a great year. This is their second year of uh, signing up new customers. Uh, here's who they're, where they're available because it doesn't matter. If you don't live in one of these counties, it's not going to work. If you're in New York, they, Oscar is available in Manhattan, Brooklyn, the Bronx, Queens, Staten Island, Rockland, Westchester, Nassau, and Suffolk counties. In uh, New Jersey... They're available in Passaic, Morris, Bergen, Essex, Hudson, Union, Middlesex, Monmouth, and Ocean counties. Um, they have all sorts of great stuff. Oscar uh, is truly a health insurance company for the modern age and for the individuals. Um, they have an app and a website where you can do everything from uh, keep your medical records, track your medical history, find a doctor, um, Talk to one of the doctors that's in the Oscar plan. Um, they have a great network of providers and hospitals in the uh, New York and North Jersey metro areas. Um, lots and lots of doctors. And and they really just go out of the way to make everything easy and to make your benefits, what you get through your insurance, um, both generous and very, very clear. It's a new kind of health insurance company. So instead of obfuscating your benefits. Um, they spell a lot out in very clean language. They have a feature called doctor on call. You can have a, use the app, use their website and have a board certified doctor call you for free 24 seven. Um, plans include benefits like free checkups, free generic drugs, um, free primary care doctor visits and more. They cover you from head to toe with simple benefits that anyone can understand. Now, here's the thing. There's some urgency involved here due to the way the Affordable Care Act works. Um, you need to sign up by February 15th, 2015 for insurance starting March 1st. So by February 15th. So if you're in the market for health insurance, if if you're avail- eligible for the Affordable Care Act and, and you pay for your own health insurance and you live in one of those counties in New York and New Jersey, I... I really encourage you to call Oscar or check out their website and find out more because it's a great deal. Now I can't get it because I, I live in Philadelphia. 
Pennsylvania. But uh, a friend of the show, editor of the show, Dave Wiskus, uh, lives in New York, and he's switched his health insurance to Oscar and says that it's great. Um, so here's where you go to find out more. Their website is highoscar.com, H-I oscar.com, like hello Oscar, highoscar.com slash the talk show. Then they'll know you came here from uh, from this podcast, highoscar.com slash the talk show. Or you can call them at 1-855-OSCAR-97. That number, once again, is 1-855-OSCAR-97. My thanks to Oscar. If you're in the market for health insurance in New York or New Jersey, uh, go check them out. It really seems like a great, great deal. All right. Anything else on your mind? No. I mean, um, I'm still – so I was back in San Francisco when uh, a couple weeks ago for a while. And, um, you know, I've been sort of going back and forth about Apple Watch. So unlike you, I wasn't at the event, the unveiling, and so I didn't get a chance to sort of see it and sort of get a better sense of what it was. I watched the, you know, the keynote sort of – it's great that they stream it live, and so I could watch it here despite their technical hiccups, which I'm sure you heard about. Um, you know, yeah, they, that was uh, it was bad. Yeah, it's really bad. But um, they fixed it a little bit for the for the later one. But um, so I wasn't sure really what to make of Apple Watch, and I, and I'm still sort of trying to get there. But I had a number of interesting discussions with people more in the know uh, while I was back, and sort of. Uh, thinking through things of where this is going to go. And I'm starting to get a lot more bullish on Apple Watch than I was to begin with. Not to say that I was bearish on it, but I was wondering, I was sort of wondering a lot of what we talked about, sort of, you know, how many people are going to pay a premium for for a gold one, how many people are going to buy the uh, the edition one, how many people are going to buy, you know, the, the cheaper sport one, and, and what does it mean? And, and then when they released the SDK, and just like we were talking about earlier, it sort of seemed like there were more widget-like uh, apps rather than true apps, and it seemed like, you know, Apple was already telepathing into the future where they're going to make them more robust apps so they're almost like saying like yeah we're going to put this out there but v2 of this is going to be real is when things get really interesting and so uh you know it's it's sort of the the old problem that apple has had amongst many people who believe you know like don't buy the first version of something like they always make it better the second version um but i am definitely getting more bullish on it now after having sort of uh had a few chats and, and learned a lot more about, about what it's actually doing. Where, where's your mind at with it? I, I've never been either bullish or bearish. I, even having been at the event and even having, you know, I didn't get to use it because they, they were all running the demo software, but I did get to at least try one on. Um, I, I've always been ambivalent. Like, tell me more. Like, I need to know more about this before I can even decide either way. Um, to me, the big, and I still feel that way. That's why I, ultimately I still feel like they've, they're probably going to have another event before it comes out. And, you mm-hmm. know, if, if the other rumors are right and they're going to do like a bigger iPad, that would make sense to do it all in one event. And so there's mm-hmm. a new thing, which is a bigger, you know, pro sized 11 inch or 12 inch iPad. So here's a new thing. And here is more on this thing we announced in September, the Apple Watch, which is now imminent. And yep. he let us show you more. That to me feels like a, they don't even need to do anymore. That's a perfect Apple event, a new yep. iPad at a new size. Um, you know, and if the thing about the stylus is right, there's all sorts of demos they can do there, you know, 
bring up somebody, some third party with, you know, shows some kind of Wacom style professional artwork being drawn on the thing. And then, you know, show me more about the Apple watch. The thing that gets me and it, is the confidence that Apple seems to have about the watch. It's not yeah. what they've told us and what you can read at apple.com slash watch. It's the confidence that Tim Cook has and everybody else who's spoken about it publicly. They're so confident about it that to me, it's it, it, it seems like it would be reckless to bet against it because they're yeah. just not, they're not the type of people who breathlessly promote everything and anything that they do. I agree with you definitely. I think that that is something that that makes it so you can't obviously you can't write it off. Well, you could never write it off being from Apple these days. But um, their confidence is is pretty fascinating. the The way that they're positioning it, they're obviously still doing this like world tour of going around and talking to all the the various people in the fashion industry, hiring the various people in the fashion industry uh, to to bring them in to make sure that they're ready to go for uh, for this. Does it all adds to sort of the, the feeling I'm getting, but I also just am starting to get a better sense of what th- I think that they think they can do with it. I do think that the early days will be maybe a little bit underwhelming at first because they're only going to work with you know a handful of of people as they always do behind the scenes. To- to get third-party apps sort of ready to go for when this thing launches, and they're going to be obvious things, and it'll be largely predicated around push notifications, I would assume. Um, but I do, I am starting to believe more that there's there's different types of things that third-party developers will be able to accomplish, and maybe it takes to the second SDK, the more robust thing, for it to really get there. But you know, I'm, I'm reminded back to the when the iPhone first came out, and you know, we had sort of developers making the web apps because they didn't have access to actually making native apps at the time. Only Apple did. So it's not exactly what's going on here, but we are getting a little bit of what feels like a muted SDK for third-party developers right now. Yeah, I, th- I think it's somewhat analogous. I think it's a little bit better than the web apps of 2007, yep. but it's close. It's it's. Not a bad analogy. I agree. And so now I'm trying to think through, you know, when Apple did release the the second sort of SDK for the iPhone that that allowed for uh, for native app development, uh, it was uh, insanely exciting to everyone. But no one really knew what would happen. We knew games would come and and there would be sort of silly little apps to begin with, which there were. There were, you know, many. And then it wasn't clear if there would ever be like big businesses, right, or real businesses built on top of that. And look at it now. I mean, how many how many billion dollar businesses have been built on top of the iPhone alone? You know, and Android and stuff. But uh, the iPhone is what kicked it off. It's like Instagram and all these other things that are that were uh, you know iOS only at the time. Um, and is there a way? This is what I'm trying to think through. Is there a way for the watch to do something similar? Right. Your instinct is that sounds ridiculous, right? right? Like that that there's that there's this watch, this small little device that's that's uh, that just seems like more of a novelty. Or is it going to actually be something that big businesses can be built on? And I think that there's two camps. There's there's people who believe that eventually we will get to that place, and there can be sort of new new interactive paradigms with like sort of the the taptic feedback stuff, and there will be new types of messaging apps that we haven't thought of yet. But then there's the other group that I think is more along the lines of, look, the Apple Watch, here's what it is. It's just um, another moat for the iPhone. 
iPhone. It's a way you can't use it right now without the iPhone. It, it's a paired device with that, and so it makes the iPhone more attractive to iPhone owners. Um, and it makes it gives people maybe another reason to buy an iPhone rather than choosing an Android device or some other similar device. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I feel like both of those scenarios are possible. I do feel like ultimately it's you know the, just the march of technology is that eventually it will be independent. Like it won't need you know it'll have its own internet access without an iPhone. Um, right. Just it, it to me exactly the way that the iPhone used to need a Mac or PC running iTunes to sync. Uh, I mean, it still it seems crazy. Like you, there was the only way to get contacts on your iPhone was to <laughs> sync right. it with your c- computer That's using a cable. Uh, and I kind of feel like the watch needing a phone it within Bluetooth range to get internet is the same thing. Like you know, three, four, five years from now, we're going to laugh at the fact that you couldn't get text messages on your phone unless you were within you know 20 feet of your or on your watch unless you were within 20 feet of your phone Um, (laughs) but in the meantime i do feel like that's the way that you bootstrap it is that it's again like you said like a moat around the iphone i think that's how it debuts and then all of a sudden you realize it's you know two three four years from now it's its own thing that's right I agree with that. And I think I think they're going about it the right way uh, with everything that they've sort of shown so far. You know, having used a lot of these other sort of wearable devices, they're all they all range from either very bad to sort of just mediocre. There's no great one right now. And I think a lot of it is that a lot of a lot of these companies have just basically taken the phone paradigm, the t- the smartphone, the touchscreen paradigm and strapped it on the wrist. And right. uh Apple with this crown sort of interaction, they're trying to actually think about what they should do. I mean, you're putting your hand when you're touching the screen all the time, you're completely covering the screen. Like, why would you do that? You know, so like the crown where you can zoom in and out that that's like sort of is an obvious thing in hindsight that I think is uh, is is going to be sort of a, a killer feature that everyone ends up copying, of course. But it's um, it's things like that that make me more excited about uh, you know the prospects for it, though I uh, agree with sort of everything we're saying, which is that the first iteration, it will take a while to, to prove these things out. Yeah, I think that the crown in particular is one of the reasons, like why did they announce it when they announced it? Well, part of it is, like I wrote, I wrote this week, that part of it I think is that they wanted to announce it before it went into production. Because once it went into production, it was inevitably going to leak. And in fact, right. it did leak. There was, a, like, one day before they announced it, there actually were, like, blueprints that leaked that that were, you know, in hindsight, were pretty much spot on or, mm-hmm. or exactly spot on. They didn't get a lot of publicity because they weren't real pictures. But if it had happened even a week earlier, somebody, you know, could have done, like, a 3D rendering and 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 spoiled it. I yep. think they really wanted to be the ones to unveil it, and they're glad they did. Um, six months is about the outer limits, I think, for when Apple could do it. I think, and you know, I think it's also possible that in in like an ideal world, if everything had gone according to plan, maybe it wouldn't be shipping in April. Maybe it would have been shipping like in February, and it's you yep. know just you know enough bugs still remain enough kinks still remain in the software that they need the extra two months before they feel comfortable shipping. 
But well, I, mean, I, I had also I had definitely heard that they did want to do this in the fall, and it just uh, oh, originally, just, yeah, definitely, yeah, yeah. yeah. like and, yeah. and in t- in hindsight, with some of Tim Cook's remarks, like at All Things D or whatever, that's the, right. You know, I think the year before that they, you know, they have a they have products to release all throughout 2014. Yeah, I think like two years ago they were thinking like a holiday release for 2014. So I think it's I think that's definitely the case. I've heard the same thing too, like internally that it's you know yeah. Not that they're shocked. I don't think it's like a disaster. I just think it's yeah. You know, it just it, took, it just was not the best case scenario. Yeah, there's software, yeah. and it's it, I think it's largely software rather than yes. the hardware that's going on. It's uh, software. It's hard to nail this this new sort of paradigm that they're trying to do. Yeah, I think that the hardware that they and who knows? I mean, because you know, they, it's not like they were letting us crack open the demo units back in September. But I'm pretty sure that the hardware they showed us at the event in September is exactly the hardware they intend to show. I'm pretty sure that it is. Yeah. Yeah. And that they're like internally, like Johnny Ives team is already working on the next revision of the hardware. Like they've, you know, the hardware is done and defined and you know, it's that screen and that chip and that metal and, you know, everything down to the bands that that stuff is all done. It's yeah. I think it's all software that's still being worked on. And of course, the the a component of that is the battery life. And what do you think about sort of? I'm sure you saw the the Mark Gurman report about the yeah. uh, the breakdown of the battery life issue. And so it's you know I think it was 2.5 hours of of full active usage, um, which is a little bit um, you know misleading because are you going to be sitting there on your watch for two two and a half straight hours using it straight through? No. But um, what do you think? Is, is that like in the ballpark you thought it would get to? Yeah, I think that the basic gist is that they need to make it so that if you're an act, if you use your Apple Watch thoroughly, that you can still get through a day no problem. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen some stuff, you know, the demo units they showed us and all the screenshots they show us don't show a battery meter all the time. Hmm. And the um, the simulator in Xcode does. So there's some question as to whether you know where they've you know, what, what are the actual production ones going to do? Yeah. Um, how are you going to check the battery? Like, it seems as though what they've shown us so far is that you're not supposed to even, I'm, I'm sure there's some way to do it, like go into settings and there's, you know, if you really want to check your battery, there'll be a way. Um, I feel like what they want to do is just get it so that it, you know, if you charge it every night, you'll be fine and you don't have to worry about it. And yeah. if you forget to charge it one night, you're probably going to, it's probably going to die the next day. And, you know, one thing, so as we know with the phones now and iPad and everything else, like the biggest draw, power draw is the screen of all these things. Um, and I think that it seems like they're doing smart things with um, that the other what the other sort of smartwatch makers haven't done, by the way, which is when you get sort of notifications coming in, um, rather than illuminate the screen right away, they're using their haptic thing, the haptic right. engine to uh, to be able to alert you to that. So the screen is going to be on probably less than you think it is because we all see these smartwatches out there right now that light up when whenever you get something and that's not going to be the case with this yeah i mentioned last week with when ben thompson was on the show that from what i've heard from a couple people again not firsthand not anybody who has a watch but all secondhand from people who've talked to people who are testing a watch is that an enormous amount of effort has gone into making it so that when you do want to look at the screen it it comes right on like the detection of your wrist and you know the the motion detection of what angle the watch is at 
hey, I, I'll bet this, you know, the person is wants to look at me right now. And then when you move it away, it goes off that they've, yep. you know, an enormous amount of work over the last three years has gone into just turning the screen on and off when it wants to be on and off. And I, I feel like the German stuff right. is, is interesting. It's, you know, I have no reason to doubt it, that those are the actual numbers. I, I just feel though that it's like, it, it almost doesn't, it isn't really helpful to thinking about how you're going to use the watch. It's, it's just sort of their enumerating. That's right. I'm a hundred percent in agreement with that. It's sort of, it's thinking it's, it's yes, it's, it's sort of the spec sheet. It's what it will be. Like if you were just in a, in a vacuum, if you just said like, give me the numbers of what it's going to do when it's like this and this. But I think the key is that the way that it's been engineered, the Apple watch will change the way that people at least right now think that they're going to use it. It's not going to be all the time coming on and it's not going to be, you have a hard time, you know, turning the screen off or you have to hit a button to turn the screen on and off and all that kind of stuff. And so I think it will end up lasting a lot longer than people are sort of thinking about just reading that, that, that stat line. Yeah. The polar opposite to me would be the, um, the now defunct iPod nano or whatever it was called. The one that was square. And then yeah. remember there was the, I think it was called yeah, the, the watch hands. Yeah. The TikTok kick cart. Yep. Kickstarter, yep. Which I got like that. At the right. t- I bought that. I did yep. too, which I think at, at the time was like the, it broke the record for like a Kickstarter project. <laughs> it did. Yeah. And it really yeah. was well done. It was as well done as a turn your iPod nano into a watch could be done. I think. Yep. Um, but I got it. I popped my iPod into it and, and, you know, five minutes later, took it off and never use it again because the idea of a watch that you had to hit a button to read drove me nuts. It you know, because you had, you know, there was no motion detection because the iPod wasn't meant for that. So you, you know, to see the time or do anything with it, you had to use your other hand and hit the button. And that's, it, that's as a funny. watch, it was, you know, and I, you know, yeah. I could see why some people liked it. But for me, as somebody who wears a watch and just wants to glance at the time, it was maddening. And I feel and, like the Apple Watch is the opposite of that. And that sort of also leads to, to one last thing. I know we've been going for a while, but I don't know when we'll talk again. So I want to, there's, uh, so with that, you know, you also had, if you wanted to listen to music, which is what you do, of course, mainly with an iPod, you had to have, you know, your, your uh, white earbuds plugged into your wrist and then they would be going up to your ears, right? And it's like, yeah. if you're trying to run, you could, you know, rip the, the, the earbuds out of your ears uh, if you were, for some reason, you know, moving your arms too far or something. That leads to a question which I have no idea, uh, but I, and I don't know if they're going to do this anytime soon or if this waits till sort of the fall or the next version or something, but like they have to be doing something with Bluetooth earbuds, right? I mean, there's no way that they can, they're, they're already saying that you'll be able to store music and, and some podcasts and they'll, it'll, it'll have limited storage to be able to do that and they want you to be running with it and, and you can have sort of, you know, be able to listen to your music and they're saying, I think they said in the press material or whatever, you can use, you know, your Bluetooth, uh, you know, running, people have special running Bluetooth headsets that they already use and they're decent or whatever, but that's not going to be good enough for Apple. They're going to want to do their own, right? And when are they going to do that? Yeah, I, it's a, it's a perfect uh, has to happen eventually idea. And, and again, I think having used the iPod Nano with the TikTok watch strap, I had the exact same thing. I thought, well, when I when I signed up for the Kickstarter, I thought I'm probably not going to like this as a watch because I'm not going to like a watch that I have to hit a button to see. But I might like it as something to w- use my iPod when I go running. 
And in fact, I hated it because of exactly what you said, that having the cable go to my wrist and my arm is moving while you, while you run, it was maddening. It, it was, it just felt like, like I was like, I don't know. It felt like the sort of thing that you, you know, like, 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 uh, when you're on probation and they put like a, uh, right. Um, but I can't help but feel the same thing with the with the Apple Watch. I mean, the watch clearly doesn't even have a headphone jack, so it's I, I you know it's going to and it does do Bluetooth audio. So if the watch does Bluetooth audio, and the future is to not have a cable between your headphones and your device, period, Apple has to do Bluetooth. My question though is, if Apple goes and does Bluetooth headphones of their own, are they going to be included with devices? Or, yeah, and, interesting. And and or if they're not, will they do them themselves, or will it be like a Beats thing? Well, so remember how they used to have? I think they still probably sell them. They they had those more high end version of in ear earbuds because I bought them at one point. They were like a hundred dollars or something. Yeah, I remember that. Twenty right. for the other ones, and they were pretty good. They were okay. They had like three different sort of sizes that that you got the the earbud gel things that you could sort of stick in your ears depending on how big your ears are. Um, and they were okay. They, they were definitely better than the old version of the earbuds that came with all the iPods and everything. The I don't think that they're better than the new version of the ear. Buds, at least I don't use those higher end versions. I'm not even sure if they sell them. I think that they still do, but I would imagine that's how they do it at first, at least that they sell them as like because they'll probably be expensive to make, right. more expensive than the current iteration. So maybe they sell them for those a hundred dollars, um, and then eventually they sort of move towards that because that is something I always think about. You know, like what else can they do to improve the iPhones right now? And the biggest pain point now is honestly untangling the damn earbuds when they're in my pocket. I know that they're like, you know, everyone, I, I complain about this from time to time on Twitter and everyone comes at me with like, you should get these ties or, you know, this thing. And you know, they have all these like third party products to like make it better. But like, really, I just want, I don't want to carry around more stuff. I just want to have my ear earbuds and I want to have the phone in my pocket and I want the earbuds not to somehow defy the laws of physics and get so tangled up that uh, it seems like you have to cut them almost to uh, in order to untangle them. Well, and so it's another thing that really strikes me in the winter too, because it's so much more of a pain in the ass when you're wearing a coat and yeah. Everything. And you've got these, these things dangling. Down right. And, and it's yeah. like, when do you, it, 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 there's no good way to do it. Like if you, you know, want to listen to podcasts, like I, you know, I walk almost everywhere in the city and I run errands and that's when I listen to podcasts and it's great. But when it's winter and I have to wear a coat, it's like, what do I do? Do I put it in my pocket and start listening to yeah. the podcast and put the coat over the headphones? And then it like, <laughs> right. it pulls. But if you put the coat on first and string it, over the coat, it, it, there's just no good way with the cable. Like as opposed to when you're not wearing a coat, you can just put your phone in a pocket, and it's not too much of a hindrance to have the headphone cable going from your jeans pocket to your ears. Put a winter coat on, and it, it there's no good way it's to do. It's hard it. to do. Have you have you tried one of the Bluetooth ones before? So it's like funny, you know, going back into the the late '90s or whatever when they first came out. Obviously, they sort of got this douchey, uh, you know, sort of uh, uh, aura around them, but. I use the uh, I use the Jawbone Era. I think it's called. Yeah, the Era. Uh, quite often now. Um, the problem is that it's only obviously one ear, so it's not great for music. You can do it for music, but for podcasts and stuff, it's pretty good. Um, it's the only other downside is with one ear, it's 
you have to turn it up quite high sometimes, like if you're in a in a louder environment to be able to hear. Um, and I never use it for calling or anything, but I don't honestly don't make that many calls, uh, so I don't use the speaker part. But I use it a lot as a just to listen to things. Um, it's a little bit wonky. The Jawbone software isn't great, and so it can take a little while to pair. And sometimes it drops, and it, it's gr- not great audio quality, I would say. But it's good for podcasts, definitely. Yeah, I would pr- I would probably enjoy that if I had one, but I've never tried it. Yeah, I you know I haven't tried any of the others, but the Jawbone one is is pretty solid. I kind of wonder what the form factor would be for like an Apple Bluetooth headset. Like, you know, would 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 they be connected somehow? And if so, w- what would it be like? A thing that goes around the back of your head? Hmm. Yeah, that's an interesting point. There, I've seen both. I've seen ones that are like that, where they have a thing that goes around the back of your head. I think I've also seen one where they still have the, something like dangling, but it's not connected. You know, right? Because somewhere there's um, got to be a battery, so it can't right. be. It can't just be the earpieces. You know, like ideally, it would just be two earpieces that you put in independently. Right. But then you need two batteries, and they'd be the, one of the reasons why I think the the jawbone one is sort of bigger than it even needs to be is just because the battery right. obviously um, and the battery's not great by the way either that thing lasts for it says four hours of talk time I think it's it's usually like two and a half hours max it will last yeah I feel like that's it's got to happen but I don't have I have no idea how it's going to happen I feel like Bluetooth yeah. has you know the headphone cables have got to go the way to the dodo and the other thing too that's got to be a motivation for Apple is just staring at my iPhone 6 right now. I can't help but look at it and think that the headphone jack has now a gating factor on making <laughs> yes, on making it. That's thinner. the biggest part. It, yeah. You know, the uh, the lightning adapter is so much thinner than the headphone jack. And I what and whatever well, whatever the whatever the thickest port is on your device is going to be the next one Apple gets rid of. And right now it's the headphone right. jack. Well, and and obviously they're starting. I think pretty soon. I think they have a few already. But they th- there was some story that they're going to start shipping the lightning ones, right? So you'll be able to do audio through the lightning port. And so I'd imagine that's how they do it. Um, maybe even starting next year or something that they they just sort of get rid of the the headphone jack. And and my God, I can't wait for people to complain about that. That will be you know that's going to be the next getting rid of the optical drive and you know killing the mouse and all these types of things. Like when they kill that audio that uh, headphone jack, it's going to be. It's going to be a shitstorm, and, and people are going to say it's because they own Beats, and Beats will. That's you know, right. That's right. Yep. It's, yep. It's all, and we'll have an antitrust uh, investigation. You know, right. like uh, <laughs> it's all it's, but, it's all a scheme to get you to buy Beats headphones, right? But uh, I, I would assume that that's what they're going to do. It, it seems like only natural because you can actually draw, it, you can draw power from that too, um, which is pretty interesting, right? So you could have a pair of headphones that are connected still, but, uh, you know, like the noise canceling ones where right now you need like AAA batteries, but I had like the Bose ones right, that, right. that, uh, that cancel out the noise, but they need AAA batteries to put in them. And if you could just draw the power from the phone, that's interesting, but that doesn't alleviate the, uh, that actually probably exacerbates the, uh, the cord issue still. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Well, it would have to, um, yeah, and then the other thing I was thinking, like, because noise canceling. Whenever I think of noise canceling, when I used I used to have a pair of Bose noise noise canceling, and I do I kind of miss them whenever I'm on a plane because they really do yeah, work, and I right. always think of them as something you wear on a plane. Um, but they're just so bulky, yeah, to carry around. Exactly, it's it's such a huge. They're so big compared to earbuds. Um, and if they drew power, that's the other thing too. Is that you know you don't want to get off the plane and have your phone be dead because you were powering your head your headphones. 
And yeah. if you've, there's only one lightning adapter. So even if you're on a plane, depending on your airline, if you have a, you're lucky enough to be on a plane where you can have a power port, uh, right. how are you going to, you can't it charge then, it yeah. while you're, while you're using That's it right. for lightning to do the headphones. I, yeah. I feel like Bluetooth is the way to go. Yeah. The only way that that would, their trade-off would be good there is if, um, is if by drawing power from the phone, you could significantly reduce the bulk of the noise canceling. So they didn't need the battery, obviously. Uh, I don't know. I don't know yeah. what's involved in sort of the noise canceling technology. But I cannot help but think that the headphone jack is going the way of the Dodo. I mean, I, oh, I yeah. really, I honestly That's don't know how much thinner they could make the device and still have it. I mean, a little bit just looking at it, but it's really And close. then could they, do, could they do stereo speakers then, do you think, on the... Uh you know, at the bottom where they only have the one sort of side is uh, is the speaker. Could they do both? Would they do both? Does that matter? I don't, I don't know. I, don't know. I feel like f- I've never gotten a definitive answer on that. But th- when I've brought it up with people at Apple, they've always said that it's a gimmick because it's too close. It doesn't make it. It actually doesn't make yeah, a difference. Yeah, uh, that's right. I, I've heard the same thing. It's sort of it wouldn't matter. You're exactly right. I think it yeah. might matter a little bit. If And I've seen some phone, you know, like with Android you can find a phone that does anything. You know, there's some obscure Sony one that has like speaker on the top and the bottom. So right. that when you hold the phone in horizontal mode, like you would when you're watching a video, there's a little bit more separation and I could see it would make a difference. But for the most part, you know, if you have stereo speakers on the bottom, on just on one side of the phone, it's pointless. Yeah. And in fact, yeah. when you're watching video sideways, it's counterproductive. <laughs> right. It's even because more pointless, you know, yeah. what's the point of having left and right when they're both on the right because that's how you're holding the phone. Like it's <laughs> it's you know, so that's what I've heard is that it's just a stupid marketing checkpoint that they're not going to go for. That was one of the rumored features though of the iPad Pro, right? That it might have stereo like cuz it would have speakers on both sides. I, who knows if that's it going to end up being legitimate at all, but I think that was at one point like a thought. I still think though it would only make sense if they were at the top and bottom, not left and right because yeah. that's how you watch video. And video or, is when you want it. Like who cares if your alert sounds come in stereo? <laughs> that's right. Or what they could do if they do actually do uh, some sort of keyboard device with the iPad, iPad Pro, maybe they could do it just like they do with MacBooks now, where they have the speaker sort of built under the keyboard. Yeah, something play. like that. I could see. I don't know, but I don't think putting them on the actual sides of the device makes any sense. Yeah. All right. Uh, I think that about does it. Good talking to you. We shouldn't make it so long this this next time. 